Welcome back to the Colorado Switchblade. I'm Jason Van of your host. It is Sunday, Sunday afternoon. It is May 22nd, and uh, it's a cold and gray Sunday afternoon for May. But you know what? We survived the snowpocalypse. It was rather un- underwhelming. Um, we didn't get the 30 inches. Granted, we got more than the one to three inches, I said, on Friday that we would probably wind up getting. But you know what? I don't think it actually stuck to the ground, uh, at least up here. Uh, I-70 might have been a different story. But up here, I, I think, like, the uh, I read somewhere that the the asphalt actually was up close to 100 degrees the day before, you know, with the sun hitting it all day and whatnot, it rises the temperature much more than, like, the ambient temperature. So, you know... We really didn't get iced up, so that's good. Uh, no major tree downages in my neighborhood anyway. And um, so, yeah, we survived the yet another snowpocalypse. They always get it wrong. Anyway, um, today, uh, today I want to do something just a little bit different. It's Sunday, and, you know, sometimes I do my weekend rants, but I've been thinking more and more, especially, like, when it is like a snow day, you know, my kids had a snow day on Friday. All the kids in the the district did, you know, whenever it's snowing out or storming out, you know, cold and gray and windy and rainy, I always get this bug to, to, to write. Um, and a lot of times, sometimes it's, it's fictional short stories. Sometimes it's, uh, you know, essays and whatnot, but I've been wanting to do kind of a, a, um, a narrative nonfiction sort of series called, mostly true tales, which are based on my, my own personal experiences. Um, I've got one that I'm, I'm going to be doing maybe next weekend. The, the working title of it is red boxes and mafia kids, uh, detailing a summer of my life I spent in Jersey city and, um, with my cousin. So I will go into that more later, but this week I've been wanting to do this one for a while. And, uh, this one's called my my own personal disclosure what i'm going to do with these i'm going to write an essay so i've got like a how many words is this it is i've got a split view right now but it's like 2043 words essay that i've i've written a small uh piece that's going over the uh the congressional hearings this past week so uh there was some congressional hearings about ufos now we don't call them ufos anymore we can't call them uh, UAPs, but, uh, you know, I've, I've, I've been sitting on a couple stories that come from my own life because there's always been the stigma that if you're one of the people that say you've seen a UFO or a UA, a UAP now, um, they've rebranded it. You know, it's not Facebook anymore. It's meta. It's not UFOs anymore. It's UAPs. So, uh, yeah, so, you know, you're always kind of labeled and you know what, I have enough trouble already. You know, I've got tattoos on my face and hands and ears and, you know, sides of my head. I'm always wearing some eighties, crazy, crummy t-shirt, you know, and, uh, so I have a hard enough time having people take me seriously, much less without saying things like I may have experienced my own unidentified flying objects. And, um, so I thought with, you know, we've we've had two congressional hearings now. Granted, one was 50 years ago during the Blue Book Project. Um, but this week they've done it. And, and you know, we had the admissions by the, the disclosure by the Pentagon. Um, what, last year I covered it for the paper. Um, 
where the Tic Tac videos were released, the Navy fighter footage. Um, and this week we had another, another, um, another disclosure, not really a disclosure. I mean, they released a couple videos, um, which, uh, one of them I hadn't seen on the internet before, but the other one I'd already leaked. And, you know, it actually part of that, what the, the, the there's, there was two videos that they focused on. One was just like a, a split second of like a, uh, what looked like a metal sphere flying across. It was taken by a, uh, air force pilot that, um, was doing some training and they, I think they had like a, a, a cell phone in the cockpit, but they, it looks like cell phone footage, but anyway, they catch like just a few screens of this, uh, small, I don't know if it's small, it might be huge. Um, but on the screen, it appears a small, uh, reflective metallic sphere that they get just a couple, you know, blurred frames of. And, um, so we've got more disclosure happening. They don't. They won't say it's alien. They, they, the only thing they're really admitting is that there is something out there. There's something up there that uh, we don't know what it is. And I don't believe that. I think they have a better idea than they're letting on. And they also said under oath, and they may come to eat these words. Um, um, but, uh, you know, I think that uh, they, they said that they don't have any captured technology. They've never come across any found technology. And I don't, I don't believe that for half a second. I think, you know, I think uh, there's got to be something to all the conspiracy theories about, you know, uh, 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 back engineered um, uh, UFO type technology. So, and, and, you know, I also, uh, you know, I'm, I closely follow Skinwalker Ranch. I'm going to be writing an in-depth series of articles about the Skinwalker Ranch probably closer Halloween, like every October, I just, I get in the mood where I'm, I'm putting out nothing but ghost stories and, you know, fictional stuff. Cause I write a lot of supernatural horror stuff. And, uh, so, you know, going closer towards October, I want to really dig into what's happening at Skinwalker Ranch and don't just judge it by the reality TV show documentary that's on History Channel. You go, go back and and read a book. And I, I talk about all this in this essay I wrote. So instead of just me babbling incoherently like I often do, um, where I just kind of jump around and ums and you knows and okays, I figured I would actually write something out and, and appear to be better spoken than I am and uh, try out this format and see how it works. So today we're going to I'm going to read this essay. I may then jump off of it a little bit just to add little side comments. But uh, yeah, it's going to be mostly True Tales, Volume 1, my own personal disclosure. So we'll see how you guys like this, if you if you do like it. Um, so before we jump into that, uh, what's going on this next week? So I've got the uh, interview set up for Tuesday with the Colorado Coalition for the Homeless. Um, I will be going down tomorrow, Monday to uh, Lamar County Courthouse to cover the uh, the Covo case, get an update on that disposition hearing. A um, few other things, but I, f I forget what they are, and it's Sunday, and, you know, I just want to have a little bit of fun on the weekends. So let's get into talking about UFOs a little bit, and uh, we'll start with that. So first off, before we get into that, let's do a little bit of uh, business first. I just want to thank my sponsors, the uh, Historic Park Theater and the uh, Real Mountain Theaters here in town. Um, you know, today they, uh, they've got Top Gun coming up soon. And uh, I just, out of nostalgia's sake, I, I went back and looked at the original Top Gun. And I tell you what, 
<laughs> that thing is not that good. I think the fact that it won 11, 11 major awards, including what a Globe and Golden Globe and like Best Picture. I mean, it won all, like 11 major awards. And I think more than anything is testament to just how much Paramount Pictures really controlled Hollywood and the award system back in the day. Because if you go back and look at it, man, it just, I don't know if it holds up. Now, the reason I got into this, I, I went and watched it because I was watching a thing on the new um, Top Gun and Tom Cruise got like a seven minute standing ovation at the, the Cannes Film Festival going on that uh, like seven minutes they stood and, and clapped for this guy uh, for the reboot. So uh, I wonder if it's just more Paramount, like just like owning Hollywood and, you know, or if it's actually pretty good. I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, Top Gun influenced my bar behavior throughout the entirety of my adult life um, with the whole you lost that love and feeling scene. But um, watching it again in retrospect, man, there's a lot of plot holes in that that story. It's, it's really just a, a propaganda story. I, I remember watching it in Fort Collins at the theater. Uh, it was always a big deal, like summer blockbusters and what my whole family would go down together. And uh, I remember this one, and they literally had um, recruiters right there in the theater signing people up. You know, they get all hyped up on, you know, good brain chemicals, watching this movie, getting all worked up. And they walk out, and they're hit with a recruitment speech. And uh, so, yeah, I just don't know if that's what we need right now. I don't know if that needs to be <laughs> entertainment. Um, but, you know, it is what it is. I'll give it a chance. I'll see. So uh, definitely go out and check out the movies. Let's get back to going out to the movies. All right. That's it for the business. So uh, now we're going to have a little bit of fun on a Sunday afternoon. There was once a time in my life when I very rudely and disrespectfully made fun of my uncle, Uncle Keith. Now, my uncle is an excellent example of the influences in my life that made me who I am today. In my family, when you refer to aunts and uncles, or even cousins, they're usually not by blood relation, but more of how they've been part of the family I grew up in, pouring in their blood, sweat, and tears into a family that came together because they chose to be a family together. So my Uncle Keith was our family's drama queen. Now, I want you to please think of Nathan Lane's character in Robin Williams' movie, The Birdcage. Except I never saw him in drag. But think of Nathan's reactions, and you have a quick reference point or a snapshot of my Uncle Keith. Now, Uncle Keith lives in the remote mountains of Northern California and comes out to visit us now and again. But he would call my mom constantly. They would talk about all kinds of things, the current state of politics, the arts, how I was fucking up in life. I know this particular rant topic about me because my mother at times would get confused about who she was calling and launch into a rant about me to me. I would have to interrupt her rant to explain that she was not calling Uncle Keith about me, but instead 
calling me and ranting about me to me, thinking it was Uncle Keith. You know, things that the best friends since high school that have remained in contact their whole lives talk about on the phone. One of these lines of conversations that would always stick with me was how Uncle Keith would always talk to my mother about the many UFOs he would see in the California mountain skies. He would say how sometimes they were classic flying saucer shapes, sometimes balls of different colored light, and sometimes they then seemed to be following him when he drove his car around. I was a bit mean in making fun of crazy old Uncle Keith, and I would eventually have to make a call to Uncle Keith, begging him to forgive me for my youthful transgressions. Now, I was, up until about five or six years ago, an ardent non-believer. Well, that's not entirely true. I certainly believe that there indeed was other life in an unlimited universe amongst unlimited multiverses. I believe the universe is much like we see here on Earth, teeming with life, even intelligent life. I just didn't think it was flying around in a saucer-shaped craft giving my Uncle Keith something to call my mother about. But that all changed when I moved up to the wilds of northwestern Montana. That is where I began to see things moving up in the night skies that I could not explain myself. They started small like satellites, which I've seen many of during my tenure here on planet Earth. But these were different. Oh, they moved and looked just like regular old satellites until they didn't. These would instantly make unexpected 90-degree turns and at a moment's notice. But it wasn't quite enough that I wouldn't chalk it up to the 90s being too kind to me. And what I saw then, the little satellites that moved funny, really were tiny potatoes compared to what I would eventually see. And I wouldn't be alone in seeing that. We will get to my own experiences here in a minute, but before we open that particular can of worms, I'd like to speak about the congressional hearings this past week. For the first time in over 50 years, there was a congressional hearing that focused on UFOs. Wait, sorry, we aren't for some reason supposed to call them UFOs anymore, but they are just rebranded UFOs. The proper term now is UAP or Unidentified Aerial phenomenon. But I digress. So, Pentagon officials testified at a House subcommittee hearing last Tuesday. The show even included a previously classified video of a UAP, an impossibly fast metallic blur that, when stopped at just the right frame, seemed to show a reflective spherical object speeding past a military fighter jet at incredible speeds. There were no vast revelations about possible little green men and their clandestine agendas. No smoking guns, so to say. But that was admittedly intentional. Pentagon officials admitted in open session, we do not want potential adversaries to know exactly what we are able to see or understand or how we come to the conclusions, said Scott W. Bray. Therefore, disclosures must be carefully considered on a case-by-case basis. The Pentagon officials also testified under oath that the government had not collected any materials from an alien landing on Earth, which I don't believe for half a second, by the way. But who knows? Maybe they will someday have to account for their testimony and eat those words. 
They also mention just how hard it could be to determine what short, blurry video clips may actually be. The discussion continued into a classified session where Pentagon officials discussed the capabilities and limitations of cameras and other sensors used to record the images openly. According to Ronald S. Moultrie, the Defense Department's Undersecretary for Intelligence, the plan is to make sure the military sensors are appropriately calibrated to record as much information as possible on the unexplained phenomenon. Using better, higher-fidelity data allows the Pentagon to make conclusions about UAPs, including strange flight characteristics, like fast movements, or no visible means of propulsion. The last time a public hearing was held on these issues was close to 50 years ago after Project Blue Book, an Air Force effort to investigate UFOs, came out. During the opening remarks, Indiana Representative Andre Carson, appointed chair for the hearing, had some harsh words for the Pentagon for failing to name a director to lead the new task force and pledged to bring the organization out of the shadows. So there wasn't too much disclosed other than the same disclosures we've gotten from the government lately. Basically, that there's indeed something happening in our night skies, or than our day skies, but nothing beyond that admission. For those of you who have followed my writing, I've been reporting on these disclosures for a while now. One of the reasons I have had such a keen interest in this topic is because I have always been fascinated by stories of scientific studies, much like we've seen at the Skinwalker Ranch. I will be extensively covering the Skinwalker Ranch much more this fall. If you would like to read what I feel is the scariest book I have ever read, and by the way, it, you'll, you'll find it in uh, nonfiction, pick up a copy of The Hunt for the Skinwalker by Colm A. Keller and investigative journalist George Knapp. Then take the time to watch History Channel's reality TV-style documentary, The Secret of Skinwalker Ranch. But I really suggest you read the book first um, because it really breaks down the scientific study that was done in a more controlled method than the, uh, the documentaries series. And it's about a hotbed of UAP and paranormal events at a cattle ranch just across the Colorado border in Utah. In truth, my theories about these types of events and places form the backbone of my, all my world building in the supernatural horror fiction stories I write. And because I indeed have had my own witnessing experiences with UAPs. I've never written or spoken about these experiences publicly before, but things are now happening with such frequency that even our government can no longer say officially that nothing is happening. And more importantly, that everyone who happens to see a UAP is just batshit crazy. It just doesn't hold water anymore. Part of the reason I have not discussed these events is because of just that stigma. You're labeled as a crazy or a kook because you dare to step forward and say that I too have seen something I cannot explain. Well, I think my time has come. The first time I witnessed a more significant and closer UFO than the satellite types I had seen was when I was working as an EMT for the Eureka Volunteer Emergency Medicine Team. My EMS manager, who was, unlike me, a very credible witness. She was married to the commanding officer of the state patrol in that area of the state. I remember at one point we had to 
bring her into the evidence locker at the town police department to let her smell some pot because she had never seen or smelt it before. Plus, unlike me, she doesn't have any tattoos on her face or hands or necks or everywhere else. We were returning from a late night run to the hospital in Whitefish at about 2.30 in the morning. When coming around Dickey Lake outside of Trago, Montana, she jumped in her driver's seat and pointed to the far corner of the windshield, exclaiming, am I crazy or do you see that too? Indeed, I did see what she was pointing at. There, hanging in the clear night sky below the peaks of the Cabinet Mountains were two substantial black triangle shapes, slowly turning with a red light at each tip of both triangles. We only saw them for maybe 30 seconds before the trees took away the view. But sure as shit, we both saw them. And after an intense conversation about what they could have been, we resolved to ask our law enforcement friends if they had seen anything in the area or maybe heard of some reports that night. The next day, I asked a Border Patrol friend if he had seen anything last night. He laughed and said, no, not last night anyways. As incredible as that may have sounded, it was again small potatoes compared to my next experience. The next time was several months later. It was at my own house. My oldest daughter, Sierra, had brought my granddaughter to Montana to visit us. We then had an Ivy League-educated acquaintance staying with us at the time. After a pleasant family dinner, we had decided to retire to the second-story living room to all watch a movie together. Gathered on the couch and chairs of the room sat me, Shiloh, my wife, my then 23-year-old daughter, Sierra, my 3-year-old granddaughter, my 11-year-old daughter, and my 7-year-old daughter, along with our acquaintance that was couch surfing for a bit. As I found the Blu-ray selection for that evening's entertainment, my 11-year-old started pointing towards the large bay window behind the TV, saying she thought there was something weird in the sky. I brushed her off. We lived so far out in the middle of nowhere that you could see the pulsing light of pulsars dancing across the Milky Way, telling her it's just another pulsar, sweetheart. She interrupted me again, more forcefully, saying, no, that's not what this is, and demanding I go to the window and look closer at what was happening. Everyone in the room jumped up from their seats, joining me at the windows. At first... We saw what we thought could be a drone flying through the trees, but upon further watching, we determined that they, there was more than one of them, didn't look like drones, and they remained in the air for much longer than any commercial drone could, performing aerial acrobatics that no drone could pull off. There were maybe nine of these things that all pulsed fluorescent purple, yellow, and green light strobing patterns around their polygon shapes. They seemed to have an intention to the patterns they were flying. Maybe a survey of some kind is the best I could come up with. We also had some strange electrical issues in the house that coincided with this event, such as the TV turning on multiple times when we had shut it off. We actually had to unplug the TV because it wouldn't stop turning back on during this event. Of course, I had some higher-end cameras sitting around the house, and I attempted to document the situation, but nothing was any good the next morning. They flew in patterns behind our house for hours, 
that night, sometimes seeming to pop out and back into existence well above the tree line on a cloudless night. They returned about the same time in the evening the following night and stuck around for a few hours again. Then we never saw them again. After some research, I found that this particular design had been seen around the world and is often referred to as disco ball UFOs. Now, I want to clarify that I have no real idea what these things actually are. Much like the Pentagon, all I can do is admit that there are indeed unidentified flying objects up in our skies, and more and more of us are seeing them. But we really have no idea what they are, whether it's little green men, some sort of super secret technology from China, we don't know. Shortly after these experiences, I called up my Uncle Keith, and I apologized profusely to him for my previous mocking and joking around, and then told him all about my own flying saucer UFO experiences in the mountains. All right, folks. Well, that's the show for today. I hope you enjoyed it. Trying a few different things with formatting. I don't know. Let me know if you like this uh, new kind of essay style where I, I actually type out and write an actual story and then read it. Um, I think it's a little less disjointed than my usual thought process. Not that I'm going to not keep doing my usual disjointed uh podcast but i'm trying to to try different things see what works see what doesn't so this week we're gonna uh again we're gonna have the update with kovo we'll be talking with uh a gal from the colorado coalition for the homeless um and i've also got an interview set up about the big kahuna uh memorial that's uh being organized here in Estes park and um also an update on what's happening with the post office so those are some of the stories you can look forward to in the near future i hope you guys had a great three-day weekend extra snow day in there even though we really didn't need it but uh you know i'm gonna take my snow days where i can get them even as an adult all right folks you've been listening to the colorado switchblade and i'm your host jason van tatenhove i'll talk to you all again soon